welcome back to Running Towards. Today, I'll be speaking with Emi Morato, who is an urban mountain man and several times entrepreneur. Emi is based in Mexico City, where the surrounding mountains serve as both playground and temple, and he's unique. He's multidisciplinary. He recreates in the mountains equally as a runner, mountaineer, climber, and generally observer. So Emma is the co-founder of one of the largest coding schools in Latin America, known as Devefe, as well as the running-based venture Aire Libre. He's been featured in Forbes Mexico, but would be just as apt to be found in the pages of Rock and Ice or Outside Magazine. So I had the privilege of being Emma's roommate for some time while I was living in Mexico City. And whenever I'm passing through, I always make sure to carve out time just to sit down and have a cup of tea and chat with him. And without fail, those chats always tend towards the deeper side of life, both brushing up against talk of big mountain plans and then the nature of existence in the same sentence. So M.A. is a pretty intense person, and I mean that is the greatest compliment. He even mentions it about himself in our chat, as you'll hear later on. And you can feel it when you're around him. He exudes this sort of enthusiastic, focused energy in both life and sport. And as you'll hear in the conversation, that clearly extends to his internal life. So in this episode, we talk about how M.A. has brought a runner's mindset to move fast and light in the mountains, even when he's not running. And on a practical level, how the runner's mindset can enable us to squeeze more outside time into our regular day-to-day city lives if we have the commitment. We also discuss how to strengthen our relationship with nature, even while living in big cities, and managing risk and opportunity in day-to-day life, the mountains, and even in business. So MA's thoughtfulness and integrity is inspiring. As a friend, he has had a great impact on me just by watching him not just talk the talk, but walk the walk of his life values. And I'm so grateful for him to carve out some time to share with me and thankful to everyone here for coming back for episode number three. And I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Please let me know what you think. Reach out to Emma with your thoughts as well and leave me a rating on uh, Spotify and, and share this conversation if you find any insight. Maybe you can inspire your friends to go run up to the top of a mountain before their, their work day. last time like literally at the same table maybe in the same position (laughs) so um just to give everyone sort of a little background like we were roommates for a while in mexico city uh we met the mutual friends and uh you're sitting at our old like dining room table sort of (laughs) not everyone will be seeing you 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, this podcast is called Running Towards, but it's not just about running. It's more about, like, the internal life of athletics. And you have, like, such a rich internal life and, like, an active mind outside of being like a super active person and I knew that when I started this I was like I have to talk to Emma and by the way do you want me to call you Emma or Manuel? Emma is fine it's perfect. Okay cool so I think a good place to start is like you versus other people that I know are like actively seeking out pushing up against your comfort zone you are constantly evolving and like I mentioned, you have this really rich internal life next to being a super active person. And so I'm sure you're like a totally different person than even the last time I saw you, which wasn't that long ago. I think it was like maybe two years ago, but that was during the pandemic and maybe we're all very different people now. Um, so how would you describe yourself like in this moment? Uh, who are you? <laughs> That's that's a great way to kick it off. Uh, and thanks for the invitation, by the way. I was looking forward to this because it's always really cool talking to you. And I think I've had very insightful conversations with you in the past. And okay, so current moment. Uh, I do have to say that the, the pandemic, uh, this is probably going to ring true with, with a lot of people, but it changed like things in in a very dramatic way, right? Like, there's, I think from now on, there's going to be like life before the pandemic and life after the pandemic. And of course, uh, the pandemic was horrible in many ways. And there has been lots of loss of life. And that's always a, a tragic thing. That's, that's definitely something that's very sad and unfortunate. In my case, uh, I, I experienced it a bit differently. And I have to say that my, my day to day totally changed. Because um, for starters, I, I used to have an office job. So I had to be at an office every day. I would take time off like to go running, to go climb, to go on, on trips, on expeditions. But it was always like a one-week thing or a 10-day thing, you know, because I had to come back to the base and I had to be physically present at the office. So with the pandemic, that changed. And suddenly it was all like remote working, you know. Uh, I, one of my businesses is a, is a coding school and everything went online. It turned into a remote school and suddenly I could work from anywhere. Um, but, but it's, but still that, that didn't open. Of course, there's this, this obvious Pandora's box of like, now I'm going to travel everywhere and be a digital nomad like you were. Um, but it, it took some, it, it took like, it built up to that, but before, uh, traveling was basically grounded. So I was, I was at home a lot. And of course, I'm, I'm, like you mentioned, I, I think I'm a very active person. I, I, I love going outside. I love going to the hills, all of that. Uh, and suddenly I was like stuck inside, you know? And, and so and luckily in, in Mexico City, the, the restrictions were not too bad. Like we were not really in a lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like I could totally grab my car and just go to the, the, the parks that are around Mexico City, which here maybe a, a parenthesis is, is in order, but... Uh, Mexico City has a super sketchy reputation um, because, you know, we're known as a huge city, chaotic, polluted, unsafe. Uh, we have a very bad reputation. But if if you put that aside, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, uh, I think Mexico City could definitely be an outdoor capital. 
100%. Because, yeah, because, you know, it's it does have all the city problems, but we have all these places so close, like in a, in a driving radius of two hours. We have, like, great trails for running, for mountain biking. We have lots of crags, lots of places to go rock climbing. Uh, we have, like, 17 and 18,000 feet uh, volcanoes that we can go do, like, high-altitude mountaineering in. Uh, we even have a lake in Valle Bravo where you can go paddle boarding if you're into that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really super rich in nature. It has elevation, uh, which is something that's very niche, a uh, very niche uh, thing that I like because many <laughs> people like don't even think about the elevation. But in, in, in my in my perspective, the elevation is very good for training and for getting stronger, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyways, coming back to the to the pandemic, I started going a lot to the the nearby parks. I I did this like back backyard exploration, which I had never done before. Because I mean, I would go to the Cierto Los Leones, I would go to the Namos, I would go to all these places. But suddenly I started going alone and it started becoming like a like a very personal, quiet, introspective thing. And then just so, just so that the story is not too long, that built up to eventually going on a, on a very long trip to Bolivia uh, last summer, which is the winter in Bolivia. Uh, it, it, it was also like a process that built up to that. I had some like the universe gave me signals that I had to go because I was like hesitating and I was like mm-hmm. kind of stuck in my routine. And suddenly it was breaking free of that, taking a risk of actually traveling internationally after so much time stuck at home because of the coronavirus, you know. And I went to Bolivia three months last last summer. It was like the whole mountain season. And it's the first time in my life that I did a trip without a, a return ticket. But you wow. probably know this, but for me, it was the first time I did that. Um, and it was really cool. And it was like a different way to experience a place because I, I turned like into a local in Bolivia. And this I'm, I'm summarizing, but then I came back and now... I guess traveling is opening opening up a lot, but I think my current status going back to that is that now I, I have this freedom that I that I didn't have before, and I've I've reconfigured my life, and now I view my life as as a table like this this dining dining room table uh, I'm sitting at. Uh, the table has several legs, you know, that it stands on. Mm-hmm. And work is one of those legs, and it's very important. And work is a, an important stimulus and an important source of, I don't know, creative work, and 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 it's it's pretty fulfilling. But it's not the only the only leg. There's another leg that is uh, having time for like my hobbies, my passions, to be out in nature, to do all these activities that I love doing. Maybe another leg is family life. You know, having contact with my family and loved ones. Uh, maybe another leg is like my spiritual life, like taking time for meditation, for, um, I don't know, for introspection, for quiet time. So I realized that for true well-being, and I'm sort of exploring this new phase that I think has been the one that I feel the most well in my life. Uh, because I'm, I think I, for the first time, I have a very good balance with all the legs on, on my table, you know. Yeah. So that's the current status. And now maybe we can we can go into other <laughs> other things you thought of. <laughs> so I, I think just one follow up question before we move on from that topic is, you can live everywhere now. What's bringing you back to Mexico City? It's it's actually very funny that you ask because since the pandemic opened up like so many 
possibilities for like moving or relocating or anything in that sense, I did start to think about moving to another place because I mean, I think Mexico City has has a magnetism. I think, and and I mean, I'm I'm, I'm no historian, but I ima- I imagine that the Aztecs settled here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the, there, there's this book by Carlos Fuentes that's called like the the most transparent region, la región más transparente, you know, and he he talks about how it was like a paradise. So I can imagine that paradise and just just picture that lake that used to be here and surrounded mm. by all the lush green hills with with a thick forest that to, nowadays we just have like a little bit of that forest that was probably all over the, the the valley of Mexico and then to the east you could see like the snow-capped volcanoes and it was probably like an amazing place unfortunately we've we've destroyed a good part of it uh as as humans we just multiply non-stop uh, but even so, even so that we've we've ravaged this land, it's still so generous. Like it's still mm-hmm. like I always I always mention this example that there, there's like a little garden thing outside my window. You, you probably remember. And like if you drop like any seed of whatever kind, a plant's going to pop up, you yeah. know, because there's there's so much water. The temperature's perfect. Uh, I don't know the humidity, everything. It's it's just a very special place, right? But it does have its its dark side, and and I mean it's just the city life, you know. Some people hate traffic. Some people hate the fact that you can get robbed at some point, like if if you're walking at night at, on the street. And for me, the, the the especially dark part has been the air pollution. Like the mm-hmm. air quality is really uh, it's it's notoriously bad. And in the winter, since it gets colder, there's there's this, you know, phenomenon with the atmosphere that like the the smog comes down lower to the ground mm-hmm. and the air becomes cold and dry uh, and super dirty. Right. So that combination just like kills me from November to like uh, late January. Like I have allergies, I'm coughing, you know, it's it's horrible. So I have, you know, that that's why you develop with the city like a love hate relationship, you know, uh, and and in that sense, like I actually thought of, for example, to moving to Oaxaca, mm-hmm. and it was something that that I was I was considering, and I was getting more and more serious about it. But then this time, like I, I was recently in in Colorado for for almost a month, I was doing some some ice climbing and some skiing there, and I came back and I found myself like okay, so so the 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 time of the of the super sketchy air was over. So luckily yeah. that's why you don't see me with any allergies right now. It's it's the better time. So I found myself like procrastinating with like actually doing the research to move to Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And and it's just because Mexico City is such a good base for the stuff that we do. Like it's you know, I, I, I just grab my car in the morning and I drive forty five minutes. I'm at the foot of Ajusco. And I can go up to 4,000 meters and come back down and be back in my apartment, like all of this process in four or five hours that if I, totally. if, if I start early, if I start early, like I can be back by mid morning and just work the rest of the day, you know? And like, if, if I want to go to even higher elevation, I just have to drive for two hours and I'll be at Ista and like, I can go to, to up to 17,000 uh, feet. So uh, there's so many places, like I said, for climbing. I can go for, for a morning to climb in Dinamos with, with, with other friends who have a flexible schedule like me. 
So it's such a good base. And, and I don't know, there's, and there's this other mystic part that there's just a magnetism about this land. That, that, and, and I felt it since I was a kid, like the fascination since I'm from like, not from Mexico City, not from the capital. I'm like from the, the, the provinces, the way they say here. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a provincial person. Like it was always like, oh, Mexico City, it's the heart of it all. You know, it's where it's the heart of politics in Mexico. It's the heart of, of business in Mexico. It's like it's 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 the matrix in a good way and in a bad way, you know. Yeah. So um, so I don't know. It just there's also this weird, invisible, mystic thing that just like I feel so good here that that even though I have a love hate relationship and sometimes the city just slaps me on the face. I still love it so much and I find it so attractive and I find it so fascinating that I'm still like not ready to leave. So I, I don't know if that's, that's a, a, a good explanation, but that's, totally. it's, it's a weird feeling that I have with this city. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because you're such like a mountain man. I feel like a very mountain person, but I live in a big city too of millions of people. And I constantly have this dilemma of community and culture versus the expansive experience of being in the mountains. And at this point, I've just, you know, kind of washed my hands of it because for now, as a young person, like I'm not ready to live in the middle of nowhere yet. And I think Mexico City is so cool. We have so many like-minded friends that are mountain people, but are also like city folk and they're cool, like for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and, I think that is really special. We wouldn't have met if it weren't for that city life. You know, I first met Mao, who is uh, one of your business partners in Aire Libre, which we'll talk about. Um, but that's, you know, a, a running enterprise. And it's, you know, kind of a running phenomenon within the city of like, you know, building community within urban people. But then also now like building this global community all over the world, literally on almost every continent. So... How did you start running? And I know one of the stories that you often tell a lot is like that first desert run, you know, you did with Aire Libre. But I don't know if you've actually given that talk in English yet. I've seen it a lot in Spanish, but maybe like that would be a good place to start. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I totally agree with what you said about the city, how it and, and, and I totally resonated with what you mentioned, because sometimes it's it's poetic, I think. Maybe we're we're in that group of people that we resonate with someone like Thoreau, you know, that he moved into the middle of the forest. And sometimes yeah. we we like this solitude and being surrounded by just by trees and, and nature. And and it's I don't know, we find it poetic, but I'm also sometimes a bit scared that I will become a hermit, you know, that I will mm -hmm. isolate myself too much. And I I mean, I do like people. I I do like hanging out with Mao, with all of my friends here. So. That's another reason I think why I'm not quite ready to to like isolate myself in that way, and maybe that's why I still li like the stimulus of the city. Uh, and going into the running part, uh, I've I mean I've been running for for long now. It's 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 become part of my life. I think my running has evolved and changed in the same way I have evolved and changed uh, because I started I started just running for fitness, you know, just to like. Uh, to, to stay healthy, to stay fit for other sports that I, I don't know, I used to play soccer and those, those kinds of things. 
Um, and then I started liking running in itself. I lived in San Francisco for a while and I remember running was such a good way to explore the new city. Like I remember totally. I especially liked going on a run that started like from where I lived in the mission district, I would like go to the Embarcadero and go mm -hmm. running all of the coastline on the peninsula. I would get to the Golden Gate Bridge. I would cross it. And then I would go to the hill that's by the Golden Gate Bridge that you yeah. have an amazing view of the city, you know, and then come back. And it was like, it, it was, it was a little adventure, you know, it was, and it was a way to see the city. It, and so it became a, like a vehicle for exploration. I also, I lived in, in South Korea for a while and I just, I explored Seoul, which is another massive city uh, by running and, and running was this way of like, I don't know, having like, maybe the word is like intimacy with the, with the place that I, that I was in, because it was one thing to see it just like walking while I was going to work or taking the subway. And as, as I was coming out of the subway station or whatever, but running is just a very paused and very, uh, maybe grounding way to see a place. So it became this thing of exploration, right? And leading up to that run in the desert, um, I, I, I first started like running, uh, I start, when I met Mao, he, he pulled me uh, into this running crew in Mexico City, and I had never seen people run so fast, like I could not <laughs> keep up with them. I, I always said that, that, that I was pretty sure that under their skin, there was like, you know, another layer of like scales, you know, of like alien skin <laughs> that these people were from like another planet, you know, because they ran so fast and I had never seen that in my life. And I started running with them and, and well, as, as I trained and I, I got a bit stronger, I could, I could now keep up with them. And I started running marathons. So it was like uh, the competitive thing and, and, and going into races. And that was a whole world of discovery. But then by, by training for marathons, we would sometimes go run in trails. We would run uh, in the hills. We, we started doing like altitude training, running in Nevada Toluca, which is mm -hmm. running at 4,000 meters, which is like around what like 13 13 14, feet yeah so um yeah that and that was and and the views there were amazing so i i started realizing that that i was i was starting to get more passionate about trail running than than city running road running you know and then i ran and then i read born to run which is you know <laughs> the, our 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 classic bible that that, yeah. that that all runners read at some point and that that put into my head the idea of just doing like an, an ultra an ultra marathon, and so I thought, okay, so an ultra like a hundred k or a hundred miler, like I have to get ready for this and I have to do a long run. So I started thinking mm -hmm. of that run in the desert because I'm from northwestern Mexico, from Sonora, which is uh, which is the the desert. It's basically the same desert that stretches all the way to Arizona and Nevada and all of those places. So um, and then I had my family there for support, like. I don't know my it was a, a father son thing that I was going to go do with my dad he was going to follow mm -hmm. me in his jeep you know and it turned into a group run because I told Mao about it he he thought that he he wanted to be a part of it and then we thought we should document it so we invited uh Danny and that's how like uh, that that was the the birth of Aire Libre with that with that project um and then some runners from New York joined which was really interesting for me to see like cosmopolitan people from new york in like yeah. my desert hometown where there's like nothing but farmers with cowboy hats and like people doing agriculture and livestock and that sort of thing you know and these guys from new york you know they were all cool and all like international 
and 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 digging this place, you know, seeing yeah. it with their eyes of like they had never seen something like that. Whereas I grew up with that, you know. But we did this run in the desert. Uh, and there's there's an indigenous community there called uh, the Seris, the Komkak is their original name, and they live on the coastline. They live in two two towns that are like sixty kilometers apart. So this is like uh, like forty miles, something like that, mm-hmm. roughly. So we thought of doing a run from the first town to the second town, which was already 60K. And then from there to like a, a vacation town called uh, Valle de Quino. And we would end the run there and it would be like approximately 90 kilometers, 90K, almost 100K. And we did it in a day. I didn't train well for that. It was a disaster. My my knees were destroyed. Oh uh, but but it was it was just, it was so casual. Like we... Today we would never do something like that because now, <laughs> now, like I have a better education on what on what it means to run a hundred kilometers. You know, I know you have to train, yeah. you have to condition your body for something like that. But back then it was like so casual. Like we're gonna go run around a hundred k, and it's gonna be okay. And like, yeah, I didn't train much, but I'm sure my body can take it. You know, yeah. and <laughs> we did it. I, you know, I, I think I became a little injured after that. But we we finished the run. It was it was an amazing experience. We we uh, a video documentary came out of that, uh, and that was the the genesis of of Aire Libre Running, which nowadays is like uh, a running retreat company, and we do running retreats all over the world. But it started with that documentary yeah. in the desert, and I think that also cemented running as something that you know could be. Uh, like a pillar in my life on a personal level, on a professional level, not being a professional runner, but using uh, running as, as a way to tell stories and create content. So yeah, that's the story of the desert run summarized. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So first of all, I think, so I've had a few of these podcast conversations and also just talking with ultra runners in general, and I think this is very North American because I, I have not heard this from European friends, but we've all done that really long, like stupid run that could have killed us <laughs> to like start out. And like we all like made it out by the skin of our teeth. Like I remember mine was like doing the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. And like the record, you know, is like five hours. So like you can run this really fast, but I didn't like. <laughs> 13 hours because the friend I was with you know like started puking and then like you know we ran out of food and got caught behind the mule trains and you know it's like I don't know how many meters but it's 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 a lot of gain and but but but, but that's how you learn right like it, it, it all goes awry like it turns into a disaster but you learn from all these mistakes and from direct experience so you can then use that on 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 posterior runs you know i mean just making there an interjection on what you're saying absolutely yeah um so you still run you know a little bit but running isn't your main focus anymore and even though you have aire libre as you know this kind of pillar of your life you know i think the last time when we were living together like you were more focused on your other business so i don't know if you're more involved in that now but even as a personal practice like running has kind of it's still around it's still floating in the ether but it's not your main thing i've kind of watched you like I think you were getting into climbing as we lived together, like maybe like three or four years ago. And now you are like full on mountaineer. <laughs> you are, you know, like you mentioned, you spent, you know, 
the whole season in Bolivia. I was just peeping your Instagram, you know, doing ice climbing in Uray for like a month. And I was like, holy shit, like he's really going for it. So how how did that transition happen? When was when did it change from like, I want to move really fast to like, oh, I want to like move incredibly slow with a bunch of stuff on my back, you know, moving up cords. This that this is a great question, and I think it's a it's a topic that I that I, I have some degree of fascination with, and and it may have started like with with very subtle inceptions. For example, I don't know. Of course, and, and you'll probably agree with me. And you're actually in his native land that we all like, we all admire uh, as a sort of a god. We all admire Killian Jordan, right? Like oh, yeah. he's this amazing athlete, and like he does amazing things. And I always loved how Killian, I mean, he's known as a, as a world-class uh, distance runner. But, you know, if you look into also into like his, uh, his social media, his different types of content, he, he started like going in, 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 in tangents, you know. Suddenly he did this, this project of Summits of My Life and he was doing like speed ascents of, of very tall mountains in the world. And also, like, he lives in Norway, which is an amazing place for ice climbing. So you also see him ice climbing uh, at times. Then you'll see him skiing, you know, and doing amazing things on skis. So I I started liking that idea of being, like, like a multi-sport person, like, yeah. uh, being well-rounded in that sense and not just, like, sticking to something. Uh, I mean, there's also beauty, don't get me wrong, there's beauty in, in going very deep into one activity. And I think you can you can achieve a level of mastery that's that's uh, admirable, but in in my case, like I've, as as I've gotten to know myself better, I think I've I prefer like being at an okay decent level at many activities than just like going nose nose deep into just one activity. And this is what I discovered with running. Like when, when I was, when I was just into running and obsessed with it and I was obsessed with like qualifying for the Boston marathon someday, you know, and that kind of thing. I realized that it, since I have an obsessive personality, like it, at times it was, it was not doing me good. Like it was not doing me well. Like I need balance in my life because my, my natural tendency is to get obsessed and hardcore about anything that I put my focus on. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, with running, it, it was getting to a level where I was starting to get burned out uh, from so much training and because I had to wake up at 4.30 sometimes and like balance that with, with work dinners that would go maybe into like 11 p.m., midnight, and it was a struggle. So um, af after my last marathon, which was the Berlin Marathon in 2017, I believe, I, I told myself like no more races for me. Like I'm going to – I'm going to rest from, from races and I'm going to do other stuff. And, and, and I also asked myself, like, why do you run? And, and when I went, when I went through the layers, you know, the, at the core of it, it was, I run for joy. Like I run mm -hmm. because it just generates joy in my life. And, and, and it's this activity that allows me to see amazing landscapes and to interact with, with, with nature, you know, and which is something I think we humans need, even if in, in more modern city living, like people are just like focused on their city lives. I think we need nature. We need to put our feet on soil. I think we need the sun to hit our faces. We need to, yeah. we need to sweat. We need to get some cold wind on our skin every once in a while. Um, and, 
And in that sense, I, I told myself, like, I'm just going to run for the joy of it. No agenda. Like, if I want to run for three hours, I'll run for three hours. If I want to run for 45 minutes, I'll run for 45 minutes. I stopped running in the city. And my, my, my focus shifted from speed to endurance. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly, it was more about going to, to a mountain and being able to go up and down, which was uh, a long ride. Uh, and it was not a, so much about how fast I was going, but just like being able to finish the run, being able mm-hmm. to do a complete route, you know. And also, like, because you were mentioning that with mountaineering, you go very slow with a pack. But something interesting happened here that as I as I got into into mountaineering and climbing, I got there with a with a runner's mindset. So it's it's actually funny because here in Mexico, like when you hang out with a with the climbing crowd, they hate approaches. Like they hate uh-huh. long approaches. If there's a long approach, yeah. like they're they're complaining, they're like, you know, fuck this. And and in my case, like I love approaches, you know, it's it's just totally. because it's like mixing a hike and a run with a climb and it's like perfect. It's 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 a day in which like I did everything I like, you know? Yeah. So um so with this runner's mindset, there was suddenly this idea of like, hey, like I'll do Ista like alone. And I'll do it like in running shorts or running tights. And mm-hmm. I'll, instead of wearing like a full pack, I'll wear like a, a hydration vest and I'll have a puffy, but just like a light puffy. And I'll have like my, my, you know, my, my walking poles and I'll have like a pair of spikes for my, for my running shoes. And maybe I can do this like in a lightweight style, you know, I can go yeah. up and down uh, in at a much faster speed than like regular mountaineers but not quite running like Killian because it's, it's hard to run when you're at like 4,000, 5,000 meters. That's it's, it's already like a, a, quite an achievement if you're able to run at that, at that altitude. Yeah. So uh, these, these very interesting projects came to be in which like, for example, last Friday, I, I just, I went from like literally for a morning run in Nevada Toluca. And like, I posted some, some stories on Instagram and friends were like, oh, yeah, you're so casual. Like, you're doing your morning run going up and down Nevada Toluca, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, because, you know, with, with, with all this going to the mountain and moving light and fast, it's possible to do that. It's possible to go uh, tag the summit, come down, and mm-hmm. then be back by, by noon to get some work done until, like, the evening or, or night, you know? So that this this focus of sometimes doing doing like uh climbs but in a runner style i think is something that i've i've liked so much it's 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 uh it's a way of of going into the mountains that i really enjoy because running gives you that option of of doing a route faster uh mm-hmm. maybe you're not doing it like super fast at marathon pace but you're doing it a lot faster than the people who are wearing you know uh, who are taking a 30 or 40 pound pack and big boots and and you know so so that that mix of 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 mountaineering with running is something i've i've been exploring it also involves commitment because mm-hmm. like if you're going up ista in running shorts and and like with a light puffy jacket and i don't know you you mess up and you twist your ankle on the way down or something like that and you're immobilized well, you're in trouble because you don't yeah. have all the layers in your pack. You don't have a stove. You don't have all, all those things that usually are are conducive to preserving your life. So it's also more committing. But that's also part of, of what makes it beautiful that I have to be very present. I have to watch my step. I have to like tell myself like you can't fuck up because it's yeah. not safe to like make a serious mistake here. So 
I don't know that all this combination of factors is how my running has evolved. And, and to be honest, I've, I found it super interesting and fascinating. Totally. What is the maximum altitude of Ista? It's like 5,800 or is that? No, 5,230. Like the... 5, and okay. the, the, Ista is the third tallest now in Mexico. The second is Popo, Popocatépetl, mm -hmm. but it's an active volcano. So you can't go up, at least not, not, not right now. Uh, and the tallest one is Pico Orizaba and Citlaltepetl is the, the original name. And Pico Orizaba has like 5,630. So, okay. um, yeah, those are the, the three tall volcanoes in Mexico. Yeah. So I think something really interesting, and I, I love this about Mexico. So it's actually, the, I love it and I hate it because part of the reason why there's like this culture of doing light and fast things in the mountains in Mexico is because we've lost a lot of the glacier. So it's a lot less complicated. Yeah. So there's the yeah. sad part there. But I think it's also cool that like Mexico has this rich mountain running, fast and light mountaineering culture that people don't know about just because Mexicans don't propagate themselves. One of my next podcast episodes, like I want to talk to Santi Carsolio, like he, you know, he has a crazy speed record on. Yeah, he's the man for that. That's <laughs> crazy. Like, I don't think like Europeans and like other people could wrap their head around like what it means to move fast like that at like over 5,000 meters, you know, yeah. it, to me, like feats of incredible strength. I feel like every run that I ever did in the vicinity of Mexico City, like I felt like I was dying. And of course, you know, when I left, I was like, oh my God, like I'm fast all of a sudden. You know, you really have to work for it. And part of it is, you know, getting acclimatized and being there for a long time, being born there. But it's like, you know, that old adage, like we, it doesn't get easier. You just get faster. Like it's still hard to breathe no matter who you are above 5,000 meters. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also interesting that you mentioned it. I've, I've been to the volcanoes with Santi, uh, especially there, there was this one time that I went with him to Ista. Um, and we were, um, we wanted to do like a, like a different route that, yeah. that, uh, it's not the normal route. It, it just goes like through through a lot of ridges uh so it's 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 a more indirect route and it, it has so much more uh like uh like vertical gain mm -hmm. uh and it involves scrambling and i mean it, it was a very ambitious route to be honest uh actually we, we we couldn't finish it because of my fault like i i i didn't have enough endurance and enough uh i wasn't that well acclimatized at that point uh -huh. and also the weather like it started getting stormy uh towards towards midday uh, so, but to see him run up, like run uphill in Ista, well, you know, my heart rate was going up the roof, yeah. uh, is something truly amazing. And I, I think he can, like, I, I feel very proud because the, like the fastest I've gone up Ista from base camp has been like, I don't know, like three hours, 15 minutes. And I think it's a very decent time, but like Santi has gone up in less than two hours and stuff yeah. like that, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just amazing to see how he can move so fast up there. Um, and I mean, yeah, he's, he's very, you'll talk to him, but he's, he's done it his whole life and he's very yeah. like conditioned, not just physically, but also mentally for that because mm -hmm. the mental part is, is key. You know, the just feeling comfortable in that setting because the first times, mm -hmm. the first times I went to Ista, like it was terrifying. It's a huge mountain. Like it's very intimidating. 
Um, there's there's some precipices that you can fall yeah. you can fall down. You can, you can get seriously hurt in that mountain if you make a mistake and if you if you're not carrying the proper equipment if you're not like that well prepared. So, but with time since I've been there already several times, I've gone up and down by myself. It it changes like the relationship with the mountain, and suddenly it feels like. It's it's not that I underestimate the mountain because I know it's mm-hmm. it can squish me like a bug whenever it wants and every time I get to the summit there's there's a feeling of the mountain let me go up the summit you know totally. it, it it I didn't conquer anything I'm totally against this uh, conquering mentality because it's it's just impossible like like humans are flattering themselves when they when they say I conquer the mountain it, it doesn't Absolutely. work like that the mount the mountain graciously lets you go up and, and gives you the opportunity to, to stand on the summit, you know? Um, so it, it now feels so much like familiar, you know, when I go to mm-hmm. Ista now, actually my, it's, it, this is not like anything impressive by, by like, um, by mountaineering standards, but I, I would like to do Pico Orizaba, uh, solo, uh, yeah. in, 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 I mean, sometime in the near future. Uh, it's, it's something I, I want to do because personally it means a lot to me because the first time I was at Pico, I was, totally uh, again terrified and and i i i didn't get to the summit like uh, a lot of things went wrong i was i was uh, like petrified when i was going up that glacier so to go up picorisaba alone would be like a celebration of of how much i've evolved in my relationship with the mountains you know uh and 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 that's that 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 i think is the important part you know it's it's not so much if and, and you'll see it when you talk to Santi, like he, he doesn't really brag about the records and, no. and he holds, yeah. if, if I'm so not mistaken, humble. it's, it's world records, what he holds in these mountains that are, they're serious mountains to, to, to yeah. be honest. Um, and, but to him, that's not the important part. The important part is how he interacts with the mountains, sleeping there, uh, breathing that mountain air, uh, feeling the, the, the tingling of when you're about to start that, you know, there's a mix of like being a little nervous, being a little yeah. uh, joyous of, of, of being about to embark on, on that adventure. So it now feels like that. It now feels like when I go there, I'm, I'm overflowing with joy and, and, and with excitement and, and it's different. It, it's not, it's no longer like I'm terrified. It's more like, okay, I'm going to have a chance to flow in this mountain environment and enjoy every second of it. Absolutely. And so uh, to brush up and do some research on this podcast, I was listening to the podcast that you did with our, our mutual friend, Charlie. Shout out, mm. Encuentros de Mentes. <laughs> of course. But, uh, you it's were talking good. about, <laughs> um, you know, your first uh, experience in Ista and like how, you know, you guys got lost and you were terrified and, and everything that you're saying now of like, you know, your experience of going to Picora Orizaba, your mind is now a different mind than it was then. And I wonder what, how intentional has it been? And is there a practice that you have or is it, you know, more fluid, more organic, but how have you made it into the mind that you have now, which is, you know, overflowing with joy and ready to flow in the mountain, as you just described. Mm. I also thought about this, like when, when you sent me all of the, like the, the prep, the prep document for the, for the podcast and all of that, I, I thought of like some ideas and, and this also like connects to what I told you about of my face during the pandemic of like exploring my backyard. I, 
I have now developed like a relationship with with these places, you know, and it's now like my list of beloved places. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. There's on in, in Desierto de los Leones that I guess that's probably the place where I go running the most. Um, it, I love that park. It's I think we're very fortunate to have that park so close to the city. It's like a 25 minute Absolutely. drive from from where I live in the center of the city. Um, and there is there is a route that I really like that follows like a, an old wall that was built by like uh, by the monks and the Spaniards that were around the area. And it goes all, all the way up to the to the second tallest hill in, in, in that park. Um, and up, up on that hill, which is, according to Wikipedia, it's called El Caballete, um, there is uh, a ceremony circle. Like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I grew up, my, my parents are hippies and they're into like, uh, into Native American spirituality. And, you know, they did sun dances and temascales, sweat lodges and, and stuff like that. Like <laughs> I grew up with that. That, that didn't make mm -hmm. it easy in, in my conservative hometown. But I, I think now looking back, it's something that I think it's cool. And I feel proud of that, uh, that, that I that I had that I was lucky to have that. And so there's a there's a circle, there's a, a ceremony circle, which is like they, they kind of flatten out an area on top of the hill. It has it's it's in a, in a very special place because you look to one side of it and you see Ista and Popo, like just there uh, on the eastern flank of Mexico City. And then you look to the other side, the other valley, and you see Nevado Toluca on the other side. And there's and you see Ajusco and you see like all these p pine trees everywhere. It looks like, uh, you know, they, they're endless. Uh, and, and I and, and when I'm and, and it's like that flanned out piece of, of the hill and it has like uh, it, it has markings around like a perimeter of, of like sticks that that signals that it's a. A ceremonial circle and in the middle there's one of those trees that has all of that like the tobacco prayers i don't know if you've seen this but when when people are preparing for the ceremony they put on uh one intention into into little squares of of cloth and and they put tobacco into that and each little pouch of, of tobacco is 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 an individual intention or prayer uh that that person is putting on the tree and actually when they do the the like I don't know if it's the sun dance or the, or the moon dance or when they do their spiritual dance, supposedly the tree ends up dying and the spirit of the tree takes all of the, all of those pray, prayers like up into the heavens, you know? So there's this place there and it's become like my temple. Like, first of all, I go all the way up that hill, which is, it's, it's, it's a pretty uh, intermediate hill. Like it's, it's, it's a good hike. It's like uh, 800 uh, vertical meters. So it's, it's quite a climb. And when I get there, usually on weekdays, there's no one there. There's no one there. It's totally deserted. Um, and you can only hear like the wind and it's usually sunny, but it's like the, the early morning sunshine, which, which is not too rough on the skin. And it's just looking at that view. That's usually where I have my snack. You know, I have a ritual now. I, ha I take my snack up there and then I, I drink some, some water, some of my electrolytes. And I just stay, I go to the circle, I remove my, my, my shoes uh, and, and like my shirt, my hat, and I just sit there and let the, the sun hit me for, I don't know, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And also when, when I'm troubled about something that maybe, I don't know, I'm struggling with, with something that's making me anxious in my life or something that's, uh, that's a difficult situation that I don't know how to, uh, exactly how to deal with it. 
I just go there and like I kneel and I put my forehead on the ground and just like talk to the earth and like say something like, I know I'm just this minuscule insect and I know you're the, the, the large one, the big one, the, the wise one, because you're so timeless that you just, you just know things, you know, because it's, it's the earth. And, and I usually ask for something like, I don't know, show me the truth, uh, show me the way I trust it, that you can give me the, the ability to listen to the voice of my intuition. And which I think intuition is actually, yeah, sort of like communicating with the earth. And, and that's okay. the way to usually find the path, you know? So, and, and this is just one example. Like I, ha I have similar ones when I've been to Ista, um, in, at Ista, watching the, the sunsets is something amazing. Like the sunsets right as, as the slope goes downhill. So you have like a front row seat to a spectacular sunset. Uh, there was what, the, there's this, this funny story that I was, uh, one time I was looking at the sunset and there's like, like uh, a lot of like, uh, it's like grassland, you know, there's like bushes of, of yellow grass. And suddenly as I was looking at the sunset, out of out of nowhere in, in one of the bushes, uh, a coyote pops his head out. Uh, it just like looks at me and and I look at it and then it goes back into the bushes. And I look around me because there were some people there and, and I'm look, looking around me like for the typical, did you see that? But nobody saw it. Like, I don't know, they were like uh, setting their tents or they were like doing other stuff. So like nobody saw the coyote and mm -hmm. and I didn't see it again. But then, you know, I talked to my mom about these things. She's like, no, it's your, it's your totem. It's your spiritual animal. And it, it was telling you something, you know, and the coyote is like telling you to take your life not so seriously and just relax and just like open up to the spontaneity. And, and I don't know, it's just these stories that, that by being by myself in, in these places, I've developed like a very close relationship and and they're like the places i go to to find a moment of peace a moment of connection a moment of 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 well-being because it's i think sometimes what we need in this city life that is so hectic is just to take this pause to have some space to like just look within just reflect just uh think about our lives uh think about if where we're going is the way we want to go or if if we're i don't know if we're at peace and what would it take to find peace um I think when I'm running, when I'm in these places, I have a space for, for all of this. And I think it has been super valuable for, for this, like, I don't know, this place I'm now at that. And it's evolving. Like it's not a, it's not a place that I'm, Oh, I got there and I'm staying here. Now I'm definitely going to keep moving yeah. and, and keep finding new perspectives to that. You know, Beautiful. When you mentioned the part about that coyote, I definitely got chills and you know, something I think that you, <laughs> The way that you said, you know, like Mexico City has a magnetism and I think even like uh, just generally in the culture, like there's an, an openness to kind of like uh, spirituality beyond just like the tr tr traditional Catholic Christian values that we have in the West. Uh, and, you know, they kind of mix in together, but I, I think that that's all really interesting. And I think that this is this is a, a thread in what I hear especially with my my mountain friends in Mexico about this relationship and like the spiritual presence of, of being with the earth and being coming with the earth. Going to the mountains involves a lot of risk. I mean, granted, like waking up every day <laughs> involves a lot of risk, to be honest. 
it's one thing to be in the mountain or in any situation and, you know, find that peace, that, that desire or that, uh, you know, centeredness to keep going. But just to show up is taking a risk. And I think that this is interesting because you're also an entrepreneur, which by its very nature is taking a lot of risk. And, you know, you have, you know, multiple business ventures and, you know, you do this other thing that involves, you know, taking your life into your hands and, you know, kind of like giving into the unknown. So before running, you were an entrepreneur. So there's something in you that has this, this tolerance or this acceptance for risk. And I wonder, you know, how the two have informed each other and how your, your relationship to risk, you know, that you've, or I think maybe to simplify the question, like, you know, how is the relationship to risk that you developed as a businessman, how, how do you take that into the mountain or do they have any relation at all? Uh, well, I, I have thought a little bit about this too. And, and I would say they're probably related. Um, and it's, it's just that, and, and maybe this is like a very, uh, universal thing to say, like it's, it's, it's not really a secret of life, but you know, there usually the experience for me has been that I've found my greatest rewards when I've, when I've, like you said, when I've taken a step into, into the unknown, um, and, and this is something that has really, I think, uh, helped me in my life because I, I, Maybe maybe this is the story with all human beings, but there's a constant dichotomy about me because there's a part of me that is very risk averse. And and I'll give you an example. Like when, when I was thinking of going to Bolivia for three months or for two months for the mountain season, um, there was a part of me that resisted that because there was a part of me that was very comfortable with the new routine that I had developed here that like I could go to the nearby hills and come back and work. And I know that at my apartment, like I have good Wi-Fi and I have like a desk and I have good structure and I have like my power outlets all lined up so that I can plug all my devices in, you know, and I have control mm -hmm. over like my shit over my situation, you know, uh, and going to Bolivia meant like, dude, this country is like, it's, it's notorious for bad internet, you know, like, What's yeah. going to happen if I have a meeting and like an important meeting and I, I don't have access to good Wi-Fi and like what's going to happen if the friend I'm staying with, if, you know, if it doesn't work out, um, what's uh, all the unknowns, you know, and they and they created in me this like risk averse uh, attitude. But I found that if every single time that I have that I that I have this feeling that it's scary, that it's intimidating and I give the step. I usually find something very rewarding on the other side because, and, and, and I don't think it's just, it's, it has to do with, with being reckless or being a daredevil. I think it has to do that. It's, it's, it's an internal process. Like when, when we face ourselves and our own like aversion to trying something new or, or like the typical getting out of our comfort zone, when we face that, when we, when we actually have enough courage to, to give a step into the unknown and try something new, I think we grow a lot. I think we we discover like hidden treasures that we didn't know were there. And I'm talking about uh, inner treasures and also like the places we get to see. Like it's it's happened to me that that I feel like with Bolivia that I felt uneasy about going. That I felt like I wasn't sure and like I needed signals from the universe to convince myself that it was a good idea. <laughs> 
and, and actually I was being handed everything on a silver platter. Like I had a place to stay for free with a, with a good friend. Uh, I, I, I had my flight covered with like miles. I didn't even have to pay for my flight. You know, it, it was all on a silver platter and I was still hesitating. So, but when I was there, when I was there and when I went like on my first, uh, expedition, I went to this mountain called Condoriri, which is probably the most beautiful mountain that I've, that I've seen in my life, uh, up to date. Um, usually I have a moment when I get all teary and emotional and that I thank myself and I'm like, dude, thank you for doing this. Like, thank you because you, you gave that step and it was scary as hell but you still gave that step and now you're here. And I think it was the right decision and thank you for making the right decision, even if it was a challenge to do that, you know? Uh, so, and that has happened to me many times. Like when, when it's, it's, it's like a process to get there and I'm hesitating, but when I'm there, it's, oh, thank God you did this, you know? And it, it even happened to me right now in, in Colorado. I was I was in Ure and I made a lot of like uh, mountain guiding friends there. And, you know, they, they made me realize that, that I have a very fortunate life situation right now with remote work and having my own business and all that. And it made me think of like, hey, back then, you know, when I when I started my, my first business like uh, like eight years ago, it was tough because, you know, at first, like I wasn't making any money and like my friends around me were buying cars and like putting a down payment for a house. And they were like buying a diamond ring for their girlfriend. And I was like just barely gaining by like drinking kawamas, you know, and uh, which is like the litter cheap beers in, in Mexico. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's the Mexican version of that. And like eating super cheap, like rice with beans and like not be when I went to restaurants with friends, like I would I would say I already had dinner, you know, because I couldn't afford to have like 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 dinner at, at a restaurant. But now eight years later and that I have like this structure and that and that it gives me freedom, I kept thinking like starting my business was the best thing I could ever do. Like it was the best decision I could I could make in that sense. But again, when when you're there, when you're at the moment of truth, so to speak, it's scary as hell. It's usually like not having any idea if we're doing the right thing. Uh, we feel like we're maybe messing up, we're, we're we're ruining everything, whatever, or we're not deciding on the right thing to do. But I think that's all very natural. Just giving that step has taught me that when I when I'm already on the other side, I'm usually like thanking myself for for giving that step, you know. So I would say that's that's kind of my my relationship with risk in 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 terms of of, of mountains and alpinism. I'm, I I don't consider myself a daredevil. I, I I like living. I don't wanna go die in some mountain. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. So I'm not looking like to do very bold and jet and dangerous stuff. I'm just looking to go to beautiful places in which in which it it puts me again in that process of of giving that step into the unknown and discovering something super valuable on the other side, whatever it may be, because like on each expedition, on each mountain, on each country, there's just a different lesson that, that, that I end up finding. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what comes to mind with the whole risk thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, very, very insightful. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like we, we've covered a lot. I, I feel like I, I need to like go back and, and reflect <laughs> on everything we've just talked about. Um, but I think like maybe the last thing um, I wanted to, to ask you about is, uh, again, going back to the podcast I was listening to that you had done on Encuentros de Mentes, like you were going to be a priest? like that's so hard to picture but like also i see it and especially like you know uh, all this time having known you all the conversations we've had so i think like maybe if we could just wrap up the conversation you know talking about you know what your spiritual life is like and and i think you've already talked a little bit about you know how your activity kind of feeds into that yeah that that story about almost becoming a priestess is a pretty funny one. Uh, it, it is true. Like I, I was about to go into the the the, the seminar, the seminary. Is, yeah, you say seminary. It like that in English, yeah. So and and I mean, when when you end up knowing me, and, and I talked about how when I put my focus on one thing, like I can go very deep down the rabbit hole. And this is what happened to me when I was uh, more involved with like uh, with Catholic spirituality. Uh, I did I did a year of voluntary work in El Salvador in Guatemala and that's where I I thought that you know uh, God or Jesus was calling my name um, and I mean in the end it wasn't my path I didn't go down that path uh, but I've always I think I've always uh, I've always felt that that we're so much more than just like our daily city life you know we're I mm-hmm. I think there are uh, I mean, and, 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 and in this sense, and this is probably going to open the door to, to, to what my current like spiritual ideas are. I, to me, it makes a lot of sense when I, when I go in, when, when I come into contact with, with the, the native traditions and, and ways of, of, uh, of living. Uh, and, and I say native in general, because I think it's the native Americans, it's the, it's the, the natives of Mexico, the natives of South America, mm-hmm. because for starters, like I feel these civilizations were able to live in harmony with the earth, which is something that the industrial, uh, we, the industrial generations have, have been unable to right? like we, we've just, uh, We've just multiplied and grown and our system is all about like constantly growing and more and more and more. And so we're, we're eating everything up. We're, we're, I mean, we're burning resources like crazy, right. And generating all this waste and, you know, you know about this and in, and the natives, I mean, maybe they had like a, like a simpler existence, but they, for, for starters, like they, they have in common that they viewed the earth as something that is alive. And, and I truly believe that, you know, like my, my relationship with, with the earth and, and the earth is everything like with a tree, with a stream, with, with, with a hill, with a mountain, whatever. It's always like, I feel that it's alive and I believe that it's alive, you know, and that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not talking to some inanimate object. I'm talking to like the source of life. And, and, and that's very, that's very tangible in the mountains because it's, you know, you see how mountains are, are giant water towers. So, mm-hmm. and water is, a, is, is one of the basic sources of life. So they, they generate life and they are alive, you know? So, 
uh, and also the relationship you can develop with something that is alive is very different than the relationship you develop with something that is lifeless. So, Absolutely. and, and, and I once read, I, I heard this in a podcast actually that, that, um, I've been also the pandemic, I think, has has led many of us to listen to a lot of podcasts. But it was a podcast about um, of this anthropologist that is an expert in ayahuasca. And and he talks about how the natives uh, viewed the world around them as that it is alive. So they say, imagine you go you go to a river that runs by the place you live or by the place you work and if you think that river is alive, you'll think twice about throwing trash into the river. But if you think it's just some object that's there and that you, you should like take advantage of it because it's there to serve you or whatever, this like this also this anthropocentric view of the world that we humans are the, the toughest shit around, like, okay, you'll, you'll throw all your trash in there and you won't care because that river is there to serve you. So I think the, the, the relationship there changes a lot. And I feel, and and I mean, I also, when I was in Bolivia, this was another unexpected thing. I participated in, a, in an ayahuasca ceremony. And one of my takeaways was that we humans have antennas. Like, I feel that we humans, we're connected to the world around us. We're, and actually, I see more and more quotes, like on, on social media, on documentaries, etc., that talk about how the earth is not a separate thing from us. We, we are the earth and we're, we're made of minerals. We're made of, of water. We're made of air, you know, we're made of the same elements that, that make up the, the earth around us. So we have antennas and we connect to the world around us, but it's up to us if we want to like, like make our antennas sensitive and to activate them and to engage in practices that, that make those antennas function because they can also go, they can also go, what's the word? They can go dull. You know, they can also be there. Like uh, if, if we don't, it's like the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if we don't use the antennas, like then, then they're just there like dormant. And, and we don't have that. We lose all that potential of, of connecting with, with the world around us in a much deeper way. So I feel that, that my current, like, if, if you can call it a spiritual practice, I, I really don't have much structure. I think it's a mix of like the, the native traditions, a, a little bit of Buddhism, because it has also done me very well to learn to accept the things I cannot control. And I think that's a, that's one of like the, the pillars of, of Buddhism. Uh, it's, it's a mix. It's, it's my own, my own version of, of spirituality, but I think it has to do with, with having those antennas really sharp and really sensitive and really open to, to the world around me. Because in the end, if with the things you connect or with the people you connect, you end up generating bonds of love usually, right? Absolutely. And this is something that, that is also very important nowadays. I mean, we have a, a war raging right now in, in, in Europe and that could be avoided if, if we would engage more with these, uh, with these parts of us that are made for connecting to the, to the world and to the people around us, to the organisms around us, because it's, it's any living organism. It's not just the other humans, you know? So, so yeah, I would say it's that. And I think running contributes to that. Even if it's, even if it sounds like super weird and that running is a sport and like stopwatches. No, no. In my, in my experience, running has contributed, contributed a lot to that, uh, to that sort of uh, polishing of my antennas. Right. 
and mm-hmm. and this notion of the antennas is, is sort of like a magical notion too like this is this is the world that we can't see it's like the voice of intuition we can't really see it but i think the natives are wise enough to to know that it exists you know it, even if we can't see it like it's still there and and we all know that there's there's another dimension to us as human beings than the physical one so i don't know that's that's my my take on on, on spirituality uh currently (laughs) beautiful i think something that resonated with me that you just said and, and something that i've been thinking a lot about is how running or any really movement practice um you know plays a part in this and i think one of the reasons that i wanted to start this podcast is i have like this constant internal tension of like why does it matter like why does running matter like why why should I, you know, devote all of my life or not all of my life, but all of my, my free time to doing something like this. And actually I, I had done an interview on, for the Arelira website, like many years ago, and I had articulated it. And when I, I was speaking to Dani, like, and I, when I said it, it was something that I hadn't thought about myself, but I, it was like, I think trail running can save the world. And totally. granted, like not, not directly, <laughs> not one-to-one, but I think that like for whatever way, whatever sport or movement that brings us outside, that gets us breathing fresh air, that sees Definitely. the nature like in between the cracks of the city or, you know, takes us beyond our comfort zone, that's one more person that is connected to and invested in the greater world, the natural world of which we're a part of. Exactly. Um, and and that and that unfortunately in the modern city life, like I said, we've we've forgotten a little about that. But it's okay. We can always come back to it. I think Mother Nature is like this embracing mother that that will always be there for us if we just choose to to approach it in a humble way, you know, in a in, in an open way with, with a genuine desire to improve as, as human beings and as individuals. Um, and, and I was just going to add to what you were saying also, because I think all these forms of movement and of running, they take us to a vulnerable state. Like when we're running, we're vulnerable. We're, we're in, in the middle of maybe in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we we're self-reliant uh, and, and we go into a state that is that is different from when we are surrounded by our comforts uh, in the in the city life. So that being vulnerable, I think, is what opens the door to love again. It's what opens the door to this is who I am. This is this is the the person I am right now, and and become accepting and 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 just it puts us in a state where we can generally hook up those antennas on our head with the antennas of something of someone else or, or of some other organism or of some other place around us. Right. And I think just the experience, uh, how we will experience that will be much richer if, if, if we're in that open state that comes from, from being vulnerable, which is something that running induces. So it's like a little chain, I would say. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave it is go be vulnerable, open those antennas, (laughs) go to the hills. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Awesome. Any final thoughts? Um, I I knew this conversation was going to be super fun. So thanks for for opening up the space. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to 
to listening to your other episodes. So please, uh, please share them over. Um, and and I think it's a it's a great idea to to just develop this conversation of how movement can be something um, can be something that we see from another perspective. And just just a closing thought is that sometimes again here in the city with all the movement because like my hiking, my running, my climbing, it's all the same. In the end, it's movement, it's interaction with nature. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm viewed as an eccentric, you know, like this intense dude that's like always running around and like restless and what's wrong with this guy? Like, why can't he just like uh, go out and party like everyone else instead of going to bed <laughs> at 9 p.m. to wake up at 5 or 6 a.m., you know? Um, and I, I, I just, it, it would be nice that this wasn't an eccentric, an eccentric thing, but that it was a, a return to our original state that, that when, when we evolved, when we became homo sapiens or whatever, uh, we were, we were not really made to be in a little box of like cement and steel to be walking on concrete. We were made to be surrounded by trees and getting some sunshine on our face and walking around and climbing around and exploring around. That's our original state. And if, if we can restore a little bit of that, I think our lives will be filled with uh, a lot of fulfillment and well-being and we'll f probably find a path, a gradual path to being at peace and, and enjoying life to the fullest. But that's the final thought. <laughs> Beautiful and well said and very much agreed with. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I hope to see you on my side of the pond uh, or maybe I'll see you in Mexico sometime and uh, be well. Yeah, thanks. I, I hope I can go crash with you sometime. There's a lot of amazing places to see around your area. So, yeah, hope to see you in the near future. Yeah, Catalonia is the whip. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> thanks for the invitation, though. Appreciate You're it. You're so welcome.